0: Get ready to pay your dues Oh God, come back home This crazy world is filled with layers and abusers We need you now before we're too far gone I hope one day they finally see the truth God, we need you now Well, good
1: evening, folks. Thanks for sharing it. Get it out there. We got to bust through the shadow banning. Uh, presently streaming to my five Facebook platforms Mark Friesen, Mark Friesen PPC, um, Canada First, Mark Friesen Saskatoon Grasswood, and Forum for Canadian Sovereignty. <clears throat> hey, Scott. Good to see you from Campsack Also streaming to Rumble, Odyssey, and DLive. Um, Not streaming to YouTube simply because I have other channels that are associated to my main account. And if I lose that account, I'm on two strikes right now. If I lose that account, I lose everything. So uh, chances are pretty good that this episode may get me some time in Facebook jail Um, we'll see how it goes live streams are a little tougher for them to to uh, hammer on but it's just it's too important not to do it (coughs) so as I said uh, (coughs) I wanted to present (coughs) excuse me I wanted to present my town hall presentation that i i normally do at live in-person town hall events because there's a lot of people that you know for whatever reason haven't been able to make it to one of them so i thought it was important to put it online i tried to put it online from our yorkton event that we that we had back uh, during the tour but the sound was so terrible people are having a hard time understanding anything because of the it was a very large building and the echo and the sound was just terrible so i thought all right you know what i gotta do this um from my studio so uh that's what i'm gonna do hey norm good to see you yes i i missed those too norm i should start doing those again um so but before i get started into my regular presentation Uh, A couple of things I wanted to touch on. Uh, We're hitting the road again, myself and Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson. And... uh, Hang on. So that's where we're headed to start as of November 1st. Well, October 30th, we're doing... Uh, A Town Hall in Saskatoon again at uh, Life Outreach Church and uh, on the first we fly out to Ontario for our first event in Barrie on November 2nd and then Mississauga on the third Owen Sound on the fourth Woodstock on the fifth and then uh, they've added a couple of more there's Ancaster uh, there's another one and then uh, from what I've seen, she hasn't made the posters yet, but uh, we're heading over to Nova Scotia um, and with a couple of dates there. We're heading to New Brunswick, possibly PEI and, and maybe even uh, on the rock. So what do you mean no sound? Do we have sound? Do I have sound? Does everyone hear me? Somebody says they have no sound. You have to turn your speakers on if you want to hear me. Uh, so looking forward to that that's gonna be good uh, tomorrow night crazy schedule ahead of me tomorrow night I'm in Prince Albert uh, so was Laura Lynn. <clears throat> We're doing the faith fire and freedom event put on by Art Lucier uh, so that'll be in Prince Albert at uh, I can't remember where I should know this but I, I let me let me check. I should be able to find this out very shortly. Hang on. Better put my specs on. Can't see anything anymore. There it is at uh, Bishop Pascal Place Auditorium, 1405, Bishop Pascal Place, the auditorium. That's tomorrow night at 7 p.m. in Prince Albert uh, <clears throat> is where we'll be. Then heading to Swift Current on Saturday to uh, attend the event put on by Theo Fleury, Jamie Soleil, and Joseph Borgo, Canadians for Truth. So looking forward to that as well. Um, and then on the 30th, we're in Saskatoon with this uh, particular uh, deal, the Let Freedom Reign Tour. And uh, then it's off to Ontario. Looking forward to seeing you folks in Ontario. I hope, I hope you all come out and... And see us and uh, I get to meet a bunch of you folks that'll be great so uh, yeah looking forward to it um, on with the show I'm just gonna read some comments here hello watching from Melville hey Harvey good to see you Do you need to purchase tickets for these events um, the one in Prince Albert you do but the ones in Ontario the let freedom rain tour it's they're always free of charge uh, free admission um, because the information that we're giving is just too important to charge people to listen to. Um, of course, it costs money for us to do the tour, so we ask for donations from people, but uh, we don't charge admission at the door. So all of those let freedom reign um events are all free admission. Um Marge Mitchell, thanks for being honest and keeping us format. Yeah, well, we have to. Somebody has to. Um Yes, I'm looking forward to it too, Gwen. Look forward to seeing you there. Um, so, as I said, I wanted to make present the regular town hall presentation, which is weird. I haven't done it yet um, digitally or online. It's a little strange <coughs> that I haven't done it. Um but, yeah, I got to thinking it's important that I do um, because there's lots of people that can't get out and and get to these events. Uh, now, of course, the drawback to doing it online is Facebook's probably going to hammer me for some of the things I talk about tonight. Uh, but it is what it is, uh, you know, whatever. You'll definitely be able to find this episode on my Rumble and Odyssey, they can't—they won't take it away from there. So that's where it'll stay. D Live is is up uh, as well. We're 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 on D Live right now. So uh, you know what—it is what it is. So it's always better. I always enjoy presenting this to a live audience, being on stage, presenting the information. Um, It's just live and in person is just so much better because you're there with, you know, a full house of people who, you know, you you get energy from. They get energy from you. It's this reciprocal agreement. Um, And that's a little tougher online. It's a little harder online. So uh, I'll do what I I'll do my best to present it in the same way that I do uh, on a stage. But it's it is going to be a little bit different um so i always like to start this presentation by saying my my favorite disclaimer is everything i'm about to talk about tonight has nothing to do with theory Uh, of course i get labeled and have been labeled a conspiracy theorist and right-wing nut job and whatever else uh, because of what i'm going to speak about but everything i talk about tonight is verifiable you can go and research you can go online and fact check everything i say and you're going to find it's legit and verifiable none of it is theory it's fact it is conspiracy because for many many years this was all done behind the curtain this was all done without notifying Anyone that this is what's... It still isn't. There's still most politicians, in fact, all of them, if you ask me, uh, have kept this from the people, from their constituents. We've never had, literally, federally, provincially, municipally, a sitting politician, an elected politician, present this information to their constituents. Ever not federally not provincially not municipally it's never happened while it's been in place this agenda that i'm going to talk about has been in place formally since 1992 was in its own development for many years before that and i'm going to talk about it because it's important when we talk about covid we talk about covid19 the pandemic. It's important that, and I know you guys, a lot of you guys that are watching this get it and understand it and understand that it's attached to a much bigger agenda. But there's a lot of folks out there that still, even within the freedom movement, don't, haven't connected the dots, don't understand the bigger picture that's at play here. COVID 19 is and always has been a social engineering and conditioning mechanism for the masses. It's a springboard for them to then put in place other elements of this agenda. It's social engineering and conditioning. That's its purpose from day one. They manufactured a virus that had a 99.7% survivability attached to it. So maybe a little bit more dangerous than the common cold and flu because they manipulated the common cold and flu virus with spike proteins and gain of function and all that other stuff. And then they created a jab for it, which is, you know, doing what it's doing. It's all been part of social engineering and conditioning the masses preparing them for what's yet to come and what is yet to come a lot of people like to talk about the world economic forum that seems to be all the rage these days all the politicians are denouncing the world economic forum and that's great fantastic do that but that's not the pinnacle that's not the priority that's not the world economic forum as i'll get into in this presentation the World Economic Forum is simply a support mechanism for the UN Sustainable Development Agenda, the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. The World Economic Forum is a support mechanism for that agenda to achieve that agenda. They're the people that, that, that motivate and inspire corporations, multinationals, oligarchs, monopolies, big tech, To agree to what this agenda is and it's ultimately the easiest way to explain it is to say and suggest it's the hyper centralization of resources hyper centralization of control and global governance under an unelected unaccountable foreign entity that's what it is. So where did this start well. I always like to start the presentation by by getting people to think a little bit outside the box and outside the box is this for many many decades our educational institutions like to tell us the big lie and the big lie was that communism is way over here on the left and fascism is way over here on the right that's completely false. If you look at the political spectrum, way over here on the left is authoritarianism, totalitarianism, big government, nanny state, government knows best, government dictating the terms of everybody's life. That's way over here on the left. And who's on the left? The communists. But it also sounds very much like the fascists, the Nazis, who were, by all senses, were national socialists the father of fascism mussolini was a socialist it's all about big government it's all about government control dictatorship authoritarianism totalitarianism it's all over there on the left the further right you go the further right you go the more freedom from government you want the more freedom from big government nanny state you want to the point of anarchy, where there's no government, there's no law. I'm a little left of that. But that's that's the political spectrum. This idea that left and right, communists and fascists, you know, the extreme left are communists, the extreme right are fascists, is complete hogwash, complete BS. They're all over there. They're all over there on the left, hard left. They're all there, all of them and so for decades of the 20th century the communists and the fascists were fighting each other for power to the death of millions of people you can even make an argument world war 1 was those two ideologies fighting for world dominance <coughs> World War II was those two ideologies fighting for world dominance. After World War II, they decided that it was better for them to combine their forces, to converge, to merge those two ideologies, communism and fascism, into a partnership. This is than the creation of the United Nations. And there's there's a there's a there's a good way to make the distinction between the two entities, the two ideologies. The UN is made up of mostly communists, dictators, despots, you name it, under socialism or communism. That's that end of things. And then you got people like the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, and others make up the fascist part. That's fascism. What's fascism? Fascism is the partnership between government, governance, and big business, corporations, right? That's that that partnership. And so there you have those two ideologies that converged. And then come around the late 60s, Rockefellers, Rothschilds, Schiff, Uh, Warburgs, they came together to first conceptualize an agenda, a framework for everybody to follow, right? So they brought together and they created what's called the Club of Rome. Club of Rome exists today. In fact, let's just pull that up. That is the one nice thing about presenting this uh, on my home computer as I can actually show you links. So there's the Club of Rome. It still exists today. It was created in the late 60s, again, sponsored by the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, Warburg Schiff's, big bankers, right? Again, because they want to hyper-centralize all of the world's resources, they want to hyper centralize governance, right? And, and so they need a mechanism to do that. They need guidelines to follow. So, what they did is they started creating this agenda, first conceptualized by a guy by the name of Dennis Meadows. Dennis Meadows um, was one of the co founders of the Club of Rome. He's also uh the co-author of a book called limits to growth i encourage everyone to read that limits to growth uh, is a book that the sustainable development agenda is basically the foundation of uh, that agenda and written again by dennis meadows and his wife actually i can't remember her name but um so they they first conceptualized this agenda and the priority at that time um, was depopulation or population reduction. If you, if you Google population reduction or depopulation agenda at the UN, you'll see that that's was their priority of this agenda. There's Their argument, and it's wrong, and it's been proven to be wrong, but their argument was that the world is overpopulated and at some point there won't be enough resources to then feed the world. So their, their idea is then to figure out how to best depopulate or reduce the planet's population. Um, down to a billion people, according to Dennis Meadows. And again, Dennis Meadows is one of the co-founders of the Club of Rome. He's one of the co-authors of Limits to Growth, the foundational works of the Sustainable Development Agenda. So he's a pretty big player in this whole thing, right? And it's important to understand what he represents and what they represent in creating this agenda. So I'm going to play that for you now. I'm going to play a clip from you from Dennis Meadows, um, where he fully admits that his priority and the priority of the agenda that he first conceptualized, sponsored by the big banks, Rockefellers, Rothschild, Warburg ships was to figure out how to depopulate the planet. And he's going to tell you very clearly what his plan is. So I'm just going to play this for you. And, uh, and, and when, you, when you're listening to this clip, it's only two minutes long, put it into context of how it fits into COVID-19 and the jab that's killing people. By the millions. Put it into context. Put that into context along with abortion. Along with euthanasia is becoming very easy. Somebody has a bad day, they just got to call the Saskatchewan Health Line, hit number five, and maid service will come to you and help kill yourself. Right? So all of these mechanisms are, are, are in place. Um carbon the reduction of co2 in the atmosphere through fertilizer right what that equates to when you reduce global usage of fertilizer across the board that's taking out at least 30% if not more of food production not only not only quantity but the quality of what you're producing out of the market, creating then famine and starvation on an epic scale. So think about all of those things (coughs) as you, as you listen to Dennis Meadows and what Dennis Meadows has to say, it's all connected. It's all part of that number one agenda attached to sustainable development, which is population reduction. And I'm not making any of this up. As you're gonna hear, he's telling us, the the founder, co-founder of the Club of Rome, one of the authors who first conceptualized sustainable development agenda, he's gonna tell you exactly what he's doing and why.
2: But in one way or another, We are so far, globally, we are so far above the population and the consumption levels which can be supported by this planet that I know in one way or another it's going to come back down. So I don't hope to avoid that. Uh, I hope that it can occur in a a civil way, and I mean civil in a a special way, peaceful. Yes, peace doesn't mean a peaceful... um, that everybody's happy, but it means that conflict isn't solved through violence, through, through force, uh, but rather in other ways. And so uh, that's what I hope for. Um, that we can, I mean, the planet can support something like a billion people maybe two billion, depending on how much liberty and how much material consumption you want to have. If you want more liberty and more consumption, you have to have fewer people. And conversely, you can have more people. I mean, we could even have eight or nine billion, probably, if we have a very strong dictatorship, which is smart. That's, unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. They're always stupid. So, But if you had a smart dictatorship, and a low standard of living you can have a but but we want to have freedom and we want to have a high sense so we're going to have a billion people and we're now at seven so we have to get back down i hope that this can be slow relatively slow and that it can be done in a way which is relatively equal uh you know so that people share uh the experience and you don't have a few rich you know trying to force everybody else to to deal with it so those are my hopes i mean These are pretty pessimistic hopes, you know, but uh, that's that's what lies ahead.
1: So, Dennis Meadows, co-founder of the Club of Rome, co-author of the book Limits to Growth that the sustainable development was created based on and was the foundation for. That guy says that we have two options. We can have a billion people, and which means we have to reduce the world's population, the planet's population, by six billion people. Just let that sink in for a minute. Um, Everyone's hair, rightfully so, gets lit on fire when we talk about six to 10 million at the hands of Hitler, 20 million at the hands of Mao, another 20 odd million at the hands of Stalin. And then there's Pol Pot. And then there's all these other dictators and despots. Everyone's hair gets on fire with those numbers, but try to wrap your head around the reduction of 6 billion people and how they're going to achieve that. You have to come at it from a, a whole number of different angles to get back down to a billion people. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? That's why these people are referred to as Satanists, because it completely goes against Christianity. It goes against what we've been taught. Go forth and multiply. Procreation. The creating of life. is now seen as bad in fact I've, i've noticed just in the last number of years how our culture western civilization that used to be the beacon of respecting human life has now decided that human life isn't as valuable as it used to be we murder 60 million babies a year in North America, if not more, probably more. Uh, Wrap your head around that. We euthanize people just because it's simple. We encourage people to end their life. Even if they're still gaining happiness. And even though there's a quality there and, and, this reduction of our ability to grow food is going to lead to mass starvation and famine. All of these things within this agenda lead to death. They want to reduce CO2. Let's talk about that for a second. What is CO2? Carbon? Two parts oxygen. Dioxide. Right? fundamental building blocks of all life on earth without it we die do you know why because we learned this we learned this in elementary school grade seven science grade eight science photosynthesis how trees and vegetation use co2 they take it in and they expel oxygen so we can breathe if we reduce co2 levels To 150 parts per million or less, we all start to die. The planet starts to die because without CO2, vegetation, plants, food will will also die. And then we die, and then animals die. It's this whole cycle of life that they want to stick their fingers in and eliminate. So, that was Dennis Meadows. Dennis Meadows is representative of the Sustainable Development Agenda, Agenda 2030, Agenda 21, Sustainable Development Goals. They first started creating this. There was an ex-Prime Minister of Norway, Brundtland, who created a report. She was tasked, she was commissioned to write a report that then, um bolstered their arguments, bolstered what they had conceptualized within sustainable development, what Dennis Meadows had brought to the table with his book, Limits to Growth. They commissioned Brundtland to write her report. She did. Um, And then from there, the sustainable development agenda was born. But even before that happened, in 1971, they needed this partnership again this communist fascist partnership. Um, And so what they did is they tapped Klaus Schwab, who comes from good Nazi stock in business uh, back to the thirties, where his dad was uh, owner of fairly significant business affiliations with the Nazis. and they tapped klaus to start the the world economic forum again as a support mechanism for sustainable development and so they created this this idea and they put it onto paper and they developed it and they created over a number of years right up until 1992 the first earth summit and again, please fact check. Please go and look and research all of this stuff. It's all there. You can find it all. Uh, it's, it's, it's plain as day. They can't hide it like they used to. But in 1992, the first Earth Summit, Rio de Janeiro Declaration, was the first time the agenda was brought together in Agenda 21, an agenda for the 21st century. And that's where they managed to convince a whole bunch of countries around the world to sign on to this idea. This idea to hyper-centralize resources, hyper-centralize governance, and to over time uh, extinguish nationhoods, extinguish national sovereignty because they see national sovereignty as a as an enormous roadblock to achieving the goals of this agenda so one of their primary focuses again is the destruction of the nation state because each nation has its own interests naturally based on culture um religious beliefs you name it there's a lot of different things that that uh, nation states derive their identity from and so this is the idea and and so in 92 there's a whole bunch of nation states canada included um and and at that time it was brian mulrooney the conservative prime minister of canada who's committed our country to this agenda now of course this agenda was a little bit loose at that time it, it wasn't it didn't have the hard and fast 17 goals that it does now it didn't have all of the structure that it has now now it has 17 goals it has 169 targets it has 239 um, indicators that that countries are moving in the right direction in achieving these goals uh, so it was a lot different back in 92 it was more still an idea. They put it, you know, vaguely on paper, but hard to put it on paper because when you put it on paper, then people like myself and and Rosa Corey and others, they run with it and they show people and they say this is what they're doing. So you know, it wasn't; it was a little bit loose back then. Um, but it and, and it went through its own development and its own uh, evolution to where it is today. And so. One of the things that we saw since 92, since our conservative prime minister, Brian Mulroney, committed us to it, is we saw the implementation of a lot of the policies built into this agenda. We saw the implementation of it throughout the bureaucracy, which is really interesting to look at uh, because then you can see how it was done without even the public service employees knowing what they were doing nobody presented this to any of the public servants here's this master agenda that we've all agreed to and here are some of the things that we're going to do as a nation as a government uh, by implementing these things in in different parts and municipalities played a huge role in this provincial governments have played a huge role in all of this it's not just federal and so even back in 92 is when Vancouver became one of the first partners in the group called ICLEI and and their commitment to Agenda 21 and the implementation of some of its policies. So we've seen this through the bureaucracies, the federal, provincial, and municipal bureaucracies being implemented without any knowledge, right? And again, I want you guys really to understand how they've done this over decades without telling anybody nobody voted for this nobody was informed at a town hall meeting and then asked to vote on whether or not you think this is a good idea do you know why because if they would have brought in a bunch of people to a town hall, MPs across the country hosting town hall events to educate the, the constituents and the masses as to what the this agenda actually represents, they would have all been fired immediately. Every politician that would have tried to sell this to their constituents would have lost the next election, guaranteed because of the consequences to this agenda and what it actually means, what it represents. That's why they never told you. That's why in 92, your prime minister Mulroney signed this thing and never told anybody. The media didn't tell anybody. They really said nothing about it. In fact, people like myself and Rosa Corey and many others Who have been screaming about this for for many years of course we were all framed as conspiracy theorists conveniently because they know that works because if the masses don't know what's happening and nobody's telling them nobody of authority nobody in authority no politicians are telling them what this is only the crackpots, only the right-wing nut jobs, only the freedom lovers, only people who appreciate sovereignty are screaming about this. Well, they're obviously conspiracy theorists, which is how they were, we were all framed for decades. Because they couldn't sell it to you. They couldn't tell you what they were doing, what they committed to. They couldn't do it. Because if they did, you would have all rejected it out of hand immediately. And that would have been the end of their political career, all of them. So they didn't tell you. Which makes it a conspiracy. The biggest conspiracy humanity has ever been subjected to. What is a conspiracy? That's when a bunch of people in power or that have some sort of power, conspire with a plan without telling the people that elected them into this position. That's conspiring. That's a conspiracy. It's not a theory. It's a conspiracy fact. This is what they've done for decades. And I consider it to be treason. Treason. When you sell your country to an unelected, unaccountable foreign entity, that's treason. Without the people that you are elected and responsible for and elected to represent and you don't tell them and you don't inform the masses of what the consequences to this agenda are, you don't do that? That's to me that's treason. There's no there's no clear description of what that is. That's treason. They've all sold us all out to an agenda created by an unelected, unaccountable foreign entity that does not have our best interest remotely at heart. So it went through the bureaucracy, right? This implementation, unbeknownst to any of us, unbeknownst to the public service. You know, they might scratch their head at some of the policies, but you know. And and so one of the one of the problems that they're going to have and that we've seen is convincing people of some of these crazy policies, right? And so I like to use carbon tax as the example, because in order <laughs> in order for them to achieve the goals of sustainable development, they're going to have to manipulate you. They're going to have to propagandize you, the people. They're going to have to create a scenario that instills fear into the masses because when the masses are fearful the masses will do ridiculous things absurd things and so that's what they do so they started this ball rolling back in the 70s right shortly after this agenda was first conceptualized in the late 60s and they started with global cooling and everyone's hair was on fire because the planet's going to freeze we're all going to freeze to death um and you know you, you could you could see the visions that they created if you if you lived in the 70s so that was the first attempt at it's instilling fear in people and how are we going to fix this you know horrific uh outcome and then of course it fell flat it fell it fell super flat all of this media induced fear in the late 70s about global cooling all fell flat right it just cuz cuz the science the actual science not somebody's model not somebody's theory that they like to accuse us of um, didn't didn't come true or couldn't come true because the science actually didn't back it, any of it. So then they created what? They created global global warming. That'll do it. That's going to create enough fear in people for people to do ridiculous things. So they started on this path to global warming. So much so that Al Gore made a movie. Al Gore's made billions off this whole narrative where he lit everybody's hair on fire, that the planet's going to light on fire, that Florida's going to be underwater in 2010, that we're going to lose all of our ice in the Arctic and Antarctica, and it's just going to create so much more water and and all of this, you know, uh, Beachfront property is, is going to be underwater and New York is going to be underwater and all this fear, right? And people bought it and people thought, yeah. And, and so in this global warming, um, they capitalized. Meanwhile, all of the elites are still buying beachfront property. They're, the banks are lending them money to do it um the, the beaches aren't going anywhere if you look at Daytona beach from today to 20 years ago it's still the same amount of beach there uh it it's it, it's comical if you if you if you set aside all of the consequences to what they're pushing so they move forward this global warming right now gore does his thing and then then they come up with the idea that It's carbon, it's CO2. Yeah, ozone, there was the ozone. Yeah, let's not forget about the ozone. Acid rain's gonna kill all the vegetation and all the farms and blah, blah, blah. That didn't happen. Uh, So much of this never happened, never came to be. Just didn't, it didn't happen because the science doesn't back it up. There's actually a study that came out of the Lancet two years ago and it was a study. They, they could have called me, would have saved them a pile of money. I could have just told them straight up. Because what they were trying to figure out is why the earth has been greening so much in the last decade. <laughs> right? And I, like I said, I'm an arborist. I understand trees. I understand vegetation. I understand that vegetation, that trees need CO2. So as we increase the parts per million in CO2 in our atmosphere we're actually encouraging more plant growth more food bigger food to feed more people to feed more animals which means more food for people right it's this wonderful system that God created this this nature, right? This cycle of life that we have on this planet. And so this they went and they did this study and they determined, yeah, 100%. It's because there's more CO2 in the atmosphere. The earth has been greening more. And guess what? When you have more vegetation covering the planet rather than solar panels that are black, And only heat the surface of the earth. (laughs) You can't make this shit up. When you have more vegetation. And more plants. And bigger plants. And bigger trees. And bigger leaves. It actually cools the planet. The planet feels good. The the planet likes life. The planet wants life. Life. And all of that life in vegetation feeds more people. More animals have food to then feed more people. So this idea that we're overpopulated is is complete hogwash as well. Uh, It's the CO2 that we're creating as humans through the industrialization that has supported human food production like you wouldn't believe it's been the biggest most important era western civilization in and of itself is the best civilization humanity has ever known ever in the history of humanity Western civilization has been the best civilization, not only for the people that live in Western nations, but for everyone on the planet because of our ability to innovate, to solve problems, to create, to build, to produce food. Humanity's never had it so good, and they want to stomp it out they want to crush it because this is this is the this is the huge difference between these globalist elite and us folks <clears throat> since the inception of mankind of humanity we have been able to solve problems through creativity innovation invention, uh, problem solving, critical thinking, um, community um, we've've we've, we've we figured it out. We're able to do this as a species. We've become very good at all of this. They, the elite on the other hand think we're useless eaters. They think they should decide, all aspects of our life, and control all aspects of our life. This is, this is how they think. This is what they want. Do you think they will never eat beef again? <laughs> it, it's only going to be a treat for us plebs. They'll eat beef every day. They'll eat bacon every day. They'll eat all of what we're used to eating. They'll eat it all the time because they're the elite. They don't like humanity being free. They don't like it. These people, the Dennis Meadows of the world, need to control all of this through an agenda, Agenda 2030, Agenda 21. And again, I'm not theorizing any of this, I didn't have a dream someday and then come to my microphone and tell the world. I'm just only repeating what they've always told us through this agenda. This is what the agenda is. And again, the priority to this agenda is population reduction, which is why they push abortion, euthanasia, trans LGBTQ supremacy because if if we're converting our kids at schools through narrative through perception instead of reality and we're converting these kids from what they're supposed to be by promoting this they're 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 not going to procreate they're not going to have kids they're going to destroy the nuclear family and this is what this is what their agenda is in the trans just google trans sdgs google lgbtq sdgs google gender identity sdgs google energy sdgs food sdgs anything any issue that is upside down or inside out right now. If you Google that issue with SDG, Sustainable Development Goals, you'll see that it's connected to the Sustainable Development Agenda. I'm going to show you something that's that's interesting. Um, so I'll wait for that. Because there's a, there's a point where I get to all of this, so, anyways, we've talked about CO two, we've talked about carbon. You're the carbon they want to eliminate, right? At, at a at a base level, you're the carbon they need to get rid of, right? Ultimately, that's the goal. So, create the fear. Create the fear. Um, And then put together an agenda. But what is the agenda when it comes to CO2? Is it really that they want to save the planet because CO2 is making it hotter? Hogwash. The science doesn't back it up. The science isn't there. It's all fabricated. It's all based on modeling. It's all hogwash. It's all BS. I'm going to show you something, though. Back in 2012, okay, the UN got together uh let me just blow that up a little bit the un got together and said this un calls for international tax to raise 400 billion to finance development needs <laughs> a tax on carbon dioxide emissions in developed countries so the western world of course where all the wealth is this is the wealth redistribution scheme that's attached to this agenda, a tax of $25 per ton would raise an estimated $250 billion per year, collected by national authorities, but earmarked for international cooperation. So in 2012, they had a meeting where they (coughs) clearly identified carbon CO2 as a funding mechanism. This is how they're going to fund the agenda. And, and so one of the ways to fund this agenda, and this is an agenda that has that the UN estimated would be five trillion dollars annually. Of course, they were wrong. Uh, best figures, best estimation is eight trillion annually. Uh, Forbes magazine did a did a report a number of years ago and uh, earmarked it at $8 trillion annually, the cost of this agenda. So where does the money come from to fund this agenda, to push this agenda forward? Well, it comes from where the wealth is, and the wealth is in the West, right? The majority of it is in the West. So you tax the developed world a carbon tax. That's why they created all of the fear around CO2. That's the enemy that they created. So we can all trip over ourselves, handing over 100 money to the government so we can save the planet. Turns out it has nothing to do with saving the planet. It has to do with funding the agenda. Funding the sustainable development agenda. That's what carbon tax is. Whether you call it carbon tax or you call it carbon pricing, it's a scheme to redistribute wealth from where the wealth resides, Western civilization, to this unelected, unaccountable foreign entity. That's why we're funneling billions of dollars annually to the UN, to these pet projects, to NGOs. This is why there's so much corruption because NGOs are making decisions for nation states based on the amount of money that we give to them. So... It's a funding mechanism, CO2. And again, whether you call it carbon tax or carbon pricing. (coughs) And this is how, this is how, and remember, the Conservative government, the Conservative Party of Canada is fully responsible for this agenda being in Canada. Mulroney signed it in 92. The Harper government made it law in 2008 that requires and compels our government to report its progress in achieving the goals of sustainable development to the UN, an unelected, unaccountable foreign entity. Now by Canadian law, we have to report to some unelected, unaccountable foreign entity our progress in achieving an agenda that'll do nothing but destroy industry in this country, destroy our sovereignty in this country. Conservative parties responsible. Then in 2015, it was Harper who signed on to the latest incarnation of this agenda, Agenda 2030, the SDGs. September 27th, 2015, one month before the election of Justin Trudeau, who then referred to us four days after being elected in an interview with the New York Times. You can check it out. Trudeau referred to us canada as the first post-national state and a country that with no core identity four days into him being prime minister why did he say that not for your benefit not so you understood what he was going to do but so the un and his handlers at the world economic forum knew that he was prepared to continue to sell out our country to an unelected unaccountable Foreign entity. This is why, when you ask, and when I ask Pierre Polover, if after he's denounced the World Economic Forum, would you then denounce the Sustainable Development Agenda and the SDGs? This is why he feigned ignorance and couldn't answer the question, because he knows perfectly well that his party is the party responsible for committing our country to this agenda fully and completely. That's why he can't admit it. So it's been this thing. And so Trudeau, after being elected, refers to us as a post-national state. What's a post-national state? That flew over everybody's head, right? That isn't in this and understanding what the agenda represents and how it's going to destroy our sovereignty. So it flew over everybody's head. What does it mean? Post-national state. It means post-after they've committed to this agenda, we will no longer be a nation state. We've ceded our sovereignty again to an unelected, unaccountable foreign entity that does not have any of our best interests in mind or at heart in any shape or form. And so here we are. So they created the fear, right? They created all this fear to support CO2 as the enemy. So we would all fall over each other, tripping over each other, handing over our hard-earned money in the form of carbon tax because, hey, yay, we're saving the planet. woo I feel so good. So everyone could virtue signal and say, oh, we're just so responsible. We're just so good. You're actually all morons. Anybody who is pro-carbon tax is a complete idiot. Sorry, it's just a fact. You don't understand what you're agreeing to. You have no idea what it is and what it represents. I'm going to show you again. There it is. It's to fund the sustainable development. It's redistribution of wealth. They want (coughs) your wealth. They want your money. They want your tax dollars going away from our country instead of looking after the people in our country. And somehow that's become a bad thing. Somehow being a nationalist, being concerned about your neighbor, your fellow Canadian has become a bad thing. Waving a Canadian flag is a bad thing now, as we saw with the convoy. So there was that fear. There was that whole enterprise agenda. But it's not even close to enough. It's It's fine for them to raise funds to fund this agenda. It's great. Fantastic. Good for them. But in order for you, in order for the masses to accept this transformative Agenda, (coughs) And it was actually Stephen Harper that referred to it as enlightened sovereignty, um, which is a complete joke. That's where Stephen Harper told the rest of the world, Canadians included, that we must learn to accept less sovereignty. And he called it enlightened sovereignty. Because of this agenda because of what it represents so it's not enough climate change what did they they went from global warming they had to change that narrative because none of the global warming narrative none of the fear-mongering ever came true none of it none of it ever came because it didn't wasn't backed by science it was modeling so what did they do they changed the narrative from global warming to climate change because then when there's a hurricane or there's a snowstorm they can relate it easily to climate change because the climate's changing I'll tell you what the day the climate never changes is the day we need to worry since the dawn of time The climate has changed on planet Earth. And it will continue to change. And guess what? Humans, because of our brilliance, our creativity, our innovation, will solve the problems that Mother Nature throws at us. That doesn't mean there won't be issues. That doesn't mean there won't be tribulation of some Degree when there's an earthquake or when there's a volcano or when Mother Earth does what Mother Earth does. It's not attributed to climate change. Maybe it is. Maybe we have to adapt to climate change, but it's not caused by humans putting CO2 in the atmosphere. It has nothing to do with it. It's complete hogwash. So they moved this narrative to climate change so they could then push their propaganda on all weather events, right? Like it's a little bit warm. All you have to do is look at the the weather forecasts on the news. And and I mean, in, in August and September, they were all red. They're all on fire. Because in order for this agenda to move forward, These globalists, the World Economic Forum, the UN, they need the media on board. And guess what? They have that. There's something called the media compact. I'm going to pull it up just because it's important. To understand why the media looks so ridiculous these days why the media does what it does. So I just Googled Media Compact, and the first thing that comes up is this. SDG Media Compact, Sustainable Development Goals, Media Compact. Where in September 2018, the United Nations launched the SDG Media Compact an initiative making a new drive to advance awareness of the sustainable development goals. The SDG Media Compact began with 31 founding media and entertainment companies and has grown into a powerful alliance of over 200 members around the world, spanning 160 countries on five continents, with a combined audience of about 2 billion people worldwide. The SDG Media Compact seeks to to inspire news and entertainment organizations to leverage their resources and talent to amplify and accelerate progress towards achieving the goals. So, that exists. That's real. It's not theory. It's conspiracy fact. The media around the world, mainstream, is all on board with pushing whatever the UN SDGs tells it to push. They are committed fully to this. This is why our federal government has purchased all of the media in this country. Their whole existence in Canada, in the mainstream media, exists because the government funds them and keeps them alive. That's why global news is a garbage can. That's why CTV is a garbage fire. That's why CBC, of course, we all know what that garbage fire is. That's why they're all the same. That's why John Gormley always says whatever the government needs him to say. There is zero independence. (laughs) Okay, so maybe there is some independence. Well, where are they? Let's have a look at some of the independents in this country that don't feed off the government tit. Rebel News. What does Rebel News do? They promote the Conservative Party. True North. What does True North do? They, they promote the Conservative Party. Do any of these companies, any of these media groups, ever talk about the sustainable development agenda? Ever? Ever? No. They talk about the World Economic Forum. Because that's apparently okay. You can talk about the support mechanism for the agenda, which is the World Economic Forum. You can denounce that. That's okay. Because they need to denounce something that placates the masses, the conservative masses. Yeah, okay. He's denouncing the World Economic Forum. I can stick my head back up my ass. No no problem. But they never talk about the sustainable development agenda ever. Ezra Levant, as long as I've been in this freedom movement, has never interviewed me. He refuses to interview me because he knows I will crash his love affair with the CPC. That's the only reason he exists, is to promote the CPC, the Conservative Party Canada, who's just as responsible for this nation-crushing agenda as the Liberals are, just if not more. They're the ones who committed us to it. And then they pass the baton to the Liberals to implement. And that's exactly what Justin Trudeau has done from day one of being elected. If you look at everything Justin Trudeau has brought forward in the line of bills, um, OICs, Order and Council, or even bureaucratic public service policy, Everything they've implemented from the first day he was elected is in compliance with the sustainable development agenda, all of it. And he has the media right there, I just finished reading it, to back him up in doing everything he does. Then enter COVID. Why do we need COVID Rockefeller, who funded the creation of the Club of Rome, who then first conceptualized sustainable development, the hoarding of resources globally, the hoarding of governance globally. Rockefeller, 10 years prior COVID, does a lockstep, does a tabletop exercise on how they're going to manage the upcoming pandemic. Event 201, before the media got their hands on anything, Uh, even before that, there was military games where we believe that's where it was released and then disseminated around the world through all of those teams that were participating in the military games in China. Then event 201, another tabletop exercise. They knew it was coming it was already there it was already it was already out there they do this tabletop exercise and then all of a sudden they started to drop a couple of tidbits 27th 28th of december there's some sort of virus out there ooh got some people's attention what what then it moved along third week of january Oh, my God, everyone's hair's on fire. Then all of a sudden, the videos started leaking out of China. Nothing comes out of China that China doesn't want coming out of China, right? We all saw the videos, people falling over in the streets, big tanker trucks spraying down neighborhoods, lighting everybody's hair on fire. Oh, my God. Did anybody ever see anybody? In Saskatoon or Vancouver or Calgary or Toronto or Montreal falling over in the streets, passing out dead just in the street, like we saw in these videos, to propagandize this pandemic. Did anybody see anybody do that? <laughs> uh, uh did were there cops running around in full hazmat suits like they were in China. Any of that any of that happening? No. Didn't happen. Because they manufactured a virus that was slightly more dangerous or slightly more dead like I'm talking minimal percentage points <coughs> that would allow them to create the fear necessary to do what they did to you and to the rest of us. Instill enough fear so you would accept being told, having mandated to wear a diaper on your face. That's the sign of a slave, by the way. So they managed to convince you to do that there's a number of people in canada independent media types that were running around doing the same thing and then and then all of a sudden the idea of lockdowns where did i read that i read that in a rockefeller thing they're going to lock people down because of a virus that has a 99.7 survivability and we're just going to shut it all down we're going to destroy people's livelihoods, we're going to destroy small business, we're going to destroy childhoods, we're going to destroy the fabric of our society, we're going to destroy what Western civilization represents, we're going to destroy it all, we're going to destroy your freedoms because we've created enough fear in this virus that has a 99.7% survivability. And then literally 2 months into the pandemic Klaus Schwab sends his book COVID-19 and the Great Reset to every western politician throughout western civilization the western world here's here's the script please follow it thank you and they did and they did and they accommodated and they did and they listened Justin Trudeau was more than a willing partner. Justin Trudeau had Jagmeet Singh in his back pocket to do everything. He had the conservatives in his back pocket. The conservatives voted for everything. Yes, go ahead and do that, Justin. Run our deficit and our debt to just insane levels to destroy the future of our children in this country. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do it for 99.7%. He wrote a book that was the script for all the politicians, federal, provincial, municipal, to follow along. He wrote He wrote a book called COVID-19 and the Great Reset. <laughs> and it's not associated, right? It has nothing to do with anything, right? Then in the fall of 2021, a year ago, a little more than a year ago, Justin Trudeau announces to the world, in his own words, on not just national TV, but global TV, that they're using COVID-19 to achieve the goals of sustainable development. Those were his words. I have the video. It's on my YouTube. I've shown it plenty of times. He told us they're using COVID-19 to achieve the goals of sustainable development. And then his deputy prime minister, Christian Freeland, who carries the purse of the country, said the same thing. They're using COVID-19 to achieve the goals of sustainable development. They've told us this. But it's still a conspiracy theory if I talk about it. this I'm going to be banned from Facebook because of this video. And I'm only repeating what they've told us. Yes, the perfect springboard. That's exactly what it is. And then what? In, in the framework of population reduction, which is what they like to call it. It's depopulation agenda. Let's call it what it is. What do they do? They destroy destroy livelihoods, they destroy societies, they destroy Western civilization, they increase suicide rates, they increase opioid crisis around North America and and throughout Europe because of the conditions they created, because of all of the politicians committing to what Klaus Schwab sent to them in the form of a book. It all leads back to population reduction. All of it. When you smash hope in people, when you create the scenario they created based on a virus that had a 99.7% survivability, and and then to further trample our rights and freedoms, you mandate a jab. That doesn't work. You mandate a jab that in fact kills people rather than protect them from a virus. They just admitted. They just admitted this thing doesn't work. It never did. They never knew anything. They just threw it out there. Here, take this shit. It's going to stop the pandemic and we can get back to normal. One enormous massive lie but again was never the point it was a virus that had a 99.7 percent survivability it was never the point what's the jab put it under the umbrella of population reduction millions of people are dying from the jab millions injured and then you have euthanasia for all the injured the people who are horribly maimed by this insanity who have no will to live just put me out just just put me under and then you have abortion running completely wild and then you have trans and then you have lgbt and all of these other agendas that are being forced down our mouths, and our conscience. This is COVID-19 was the springboard to what's yet to come. It was social engineering. It was conditioning the masses for what is yet to come to prepare people's minds even if their minds are being cognitively affected by this jab which i think they are to fulfill this agenda that's how covid fits into all of this i'm going to show you a search that i did uh it's just phenomenal so I, I did I did one search. COVID-19 and the UN agenda. Fact check, right? From Reuters. I'm going to get to that in a second. COVID 19 and the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development by OHCR.org. SDGIISD.org. Guest article the world has a plan to get COVID to get out of COVID-19. And that is the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. Secretary-General's report on our common agenda, United Nations' comprehensive response to COVID-19, and then Reuters. Check this out. Fact check. Agenda 2030 is a global development framework that is not linked to the COVID-19 pandemic. You can't make this shit up. I I swear to God, you can. not You just can't make it up. It's phenomenal. Is COVID-19 setting the stage for UN Agenda 2030? Yes, it is. It's exactly what it is. It, it, it's phenomenal. Again, everything that I've brought forward to this point through this video can be fact-checked, can be verified. Um I mean, Dennis Meadows tells us, I'm gonna play Dennis Meadows again, just just because it's it's important um i'm going to play him again right now cuz he says it all he says everything we need to know i think it's important it's extremely important that people understand the context of what covid-19 was for promoting this agenda it was all by design it was all orchestrated it was all coordinated it was all to condition and socially engineer the masses into yet what's yet to come. And I'm going to show you another video after this um, that'll blow your socks off too, just in regards to this agenda. But uh, anyways, here's Dennis. I'm going to play it again just to to, to sort of end this uh, on the same note, just so we can wrap wrap it up, and put a bow on it. Go ahead, Dennis.
2: In one way or another, we are so far globally you are so far above the population and the consumption levels which can be supported by this planet that i know in one way or another it's going to come back down so i don't hope to avoid that uh i hope that it can occur in a a, a civil way I, I, I and i mean he wants to reduce the world's population from
1: seven billion to one billion in a civil way in a peaceful way, in a special way.
2: Civil in a, in a special way, I, peaceful. Peace peaceful. doesn't mean. So what, what he means
1: by peaceful is <coughs> a compliant way, in a way where the people aren't going to revolt, where the people won't defend themselves because they'll be put into the frame of mind that they're just going to accept their freedoms being trampled on. That's the special way that these characters want to achieve their goals. Uh,
2: that everybody's happy, but it means that conflict isn't solved through violence, through through force, uh, but rather in other ways. And so uh, that's what I hope for. Um, that we can, I mean, the planet can support something like a billion people, maybe two billion, depending on how much liberty and how much material consumption you want to, to, to have. If you want more liberty and more consumption, you have to have fewer people. And conversely, you can have more people. I mean, we could even have 8 or 9 billion probably if we have a very strong dictatorship which is smart. That's-
1: yes because you know you useless eaters you you people you plebs you slaves you can't you can't be allowed to just do whatever it is you want to do. We need a dictatorship so we can dictate all the terms of your life. This is the guy who first conceptualized the sustainable development agenda. This is the guy, this is him. If you want to put a name and a face to sustainable development, that's it. This is the guy. He's the co-author of Limits to Growth, which is the foundational book behind the sustainable development agenda. This is him. This is what he's saying to you, to everyone, (laughs) that we need a dictatorship to dictate all the terms. And if you look at the sustainable development agenda, you look at the 17 goals and you drop it over top and transpose it onto the Communist Manifesto, it's exactly the same thing on steroids. It will control all aspects of your life, everything. From the time you wake all through the day, what the air you breathe, the food you eat, the food you create, the food you produce, who you associate with, how you associate, how you speak, how you think, and even while you sleep, where you sleep and how you transport yourself, how you get from A to B if you're allowed to do it. And I'm gonna get to that in a second. They need a dictatorship. 17 goals of sustainable development are the 17 goals that will dictate the terms, all terms of your life. All of it.
2: Unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. They're always stupid. So, But if you had a smart dictatorship, and a low standard of living, you can have it. But, but we want to have freedom and we want to have a high sentence. So we're going to have a billion people. A billion people.
1: <laughs> They're going to, he and his cohorts are going to figure out how to reduce the Earth's population from 7 billion to 1 billion. through abortion through euthanasia, through famine and starvation, through revolt, through war, through pandemic, manufactured, and through vaccination. There you go.
2: And we're now at seven. So we have to get back down. I hope that this can be slow, relatively slow and that it can be done in a way which is relatively equal uh, you know so that people share uh, the experience and you don't have a few rich you know trying to force everybody else to, to deal with it. So those are my hopes. I mean these are pretty pessimistic hopes, yeah, pessimistic you know, but I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's what lies ahead
1: So again, there's the face of sustainable development. he's the guy. He's the guy. He's exactly what it represents. Death, destruction, famine, starvation, pestilence, you name it. All of it. He's it. That's it. That's what sustainable development agenda is. That none of your federal politicians, provincial politicians, municipal politicians have ever told anyone about. Never. Never. The only people that are going out and doing town halls are freedom fighters. Informing people of this, of this agenda, not the World Economic Forum. That's a support mechanism for this agenda. People need to understand that this agenda is the root of all evil. It is the root of everything. Drag queens reading to kids. That's UN agenda. Just look at it. Just look at transgender SDGs. It's right there. SOGI. Sexual orientation, gender identity in our schools. It's UN. SOGI SDGs. Google it. Anyways, I'm going to show you another video. Um, (laughs) Because it's also... This is why I just I just came across this one today, actually. Um, pretty incredible. It's only it's only ten minutes long. Hey,
3: good morning, everybody. Now I first heard...
1: but it's definitely worth it. So check this out. So this is again how the agenda is going to affect your day to day life. This is happening right now in Great Britain, in Oxford, and uh, some other town. I can't remember. Uh, Anyways, have a listen. Have a watch. This is Sustainable Development Agenda in action. Going to dictate to you uh, how you live your life. This is happening right now
3: heard the phrase 15-minute neighborhoods when I was on the London Assembly and the idea of these things were that local councils would implement what they call low traffic neighborhoods or LTNs and people then would be restricted from going in and out of those neighborhoods because most of the entrances would be blocked off but that everybody would have everything that they need within a 15-minute walk of their house. So essentially, uh, it was discouraging people to travel outside of where they lived. So if they wanted anything, they would just go to a local shop or a local school or a local nursery or a local GP. Not that these neighbourhoods had all of those services in, because services have been run down for the last 20 years or more. So it was a bit of a joke, because you couldn't actually survive just in your little ltm 15 minute neighborhood um that caused all kinds of trouble when the lockdown period came along and this fake conservative government put up 250 million pounds for local councils to implement uh temporary road blockages and low traffic neighborhoods which then they wanted to turn into permanent uh fixtures so you had planters going up everywhere blocking the roads barriers blocking the roads and this caused all kinds of problems for fire engines for ambulances who couldn't get through to attend to emergencies and then people (laughs) who needed their cars because they're carers or because they're disabled found that their life was inconvenienced incredibly because they couldn't just get into their house with their car in the normal way they had to go around um, a huge kind of detour, which actually increased pollution and increased the levels of uh, pollutants in these neighbourhoods because cars had to travel for longer and there were more traffic jams. So it had the exact opposite effect of what people said it would do. They said that by creating low traffic neighborhoods would have, there would be less traffic actually there's more traffic because there's more traffic jams What's been announced this week in a couple of places in the UK takes that to an absolutely uh, another level, uh, a level which is really a draconian clampdown on freedom of movement for citizens in this country who should be allowed to move around the country as we will. Now, if you're a British citizen, you shouldn't be restricted from moving around your own country. You shouldn't be restricted from coming in or out of your country. You can come and go as you please. I'm all for controlling our borders and saying foreign nationals can't come in if we don't uh, say they can come in. But if you're a British citizen, you should be allowed to move around uh, freely. But this right is being curtailed. In two places in particular, Oxford and Canterbury, that I've heard of, all of a sudden are implementing zones in their Cities. So Oxford, for example, uh, is dividing, uh, well, Oxford City Council is dividing the roads in Oxford into six zones. And they're going to give cars permits and they're going to say to people who own cars, you're not allowed to go out of your zone in your car to travel to another zone more than 100 times a year. So about twice a week. And if you do, you're going to get a seventy pound fine. <laughs> so people who need to use their cars oh, to travel God. every day to go to work or um, you know, to go to, to, to you know to, to college or whatever, or or they're carers or they're disabled, you know, they, they, you know, you use your car for your job, for example, are going to get horrendous amounts of fines because you know, they're easily and very quickly going to go over. Um, moving out of their, the zone where they live a uh, 100 times in a year. So this is uh, taking the idea of a 15-minute neighbourhood to a whole other level because now they're talking about penalising people for leaving their neighbourhood or their low-traffic neighbourhood 15-minute area zone. Um, before the idea was, well, there would be one entrance, you know, you go out of it, but you wouldn't be fined if you go out in and out of it. Now they're going to fine you for going in and out of your neighbourhood more than a certain number of times a week or a year. Canterbury has also announced they want to do the same thing, dividing Canterbury City into four zones where you'll be fined for going in and out of your zone in a car and traveling to another zone. So you can go where in the orbit of the city, um, but you might probably not want to do that because if if you're going somewhere close, you could just walk. Uh, But to go to another part of the city, you'll be fine if you use a car. So they're, they're saying this is to encourage active transport, active travel. So people will walk more and they'll cycle more and they'll use public transport more well you know that's great on a bank holiday in May or August everyone likes you know it's sunny everyone likes to get out and cycle more and the people uh, are promoting these kind of things they always go oh we had uh, more cycle use than ever before on August bank holiday but of course you do because nobody's going to work everyone's got the day off it's sunny and then people want to go out on their bikes and they're going to go for a walk so yeah of course that happens on those days but in a winter day where it's rainy and it's cold and it's windy hardly anybody's going to walk or, or minus a 40 And if you want to get public transport, it might not come for half an hour. And then you've got to go into the city, change buses and get another bus to go where you want to on the other side of the city. It's just much quicker to take your car and uh, it's much less hassle to take your car. But they want to stop people from having cars and using cars. This is what it's all about. This is Agenda 2030 in action. And it's being implemented in local governments, by local councils as well as the national government. So uh, when people say, you know, oh, we can't do anything to stop this because, you know, it's just the council's doing it, the government's doing it, you can do something. It just needs all of us to act together. Yes. In the same way to get into these positions of power on councils as well as national governments to be able to put a stop to these things and then to be able to open the roads up again so that British citizens will have our God-given rights to drive a car. Absolutely. Yes, we do. We have the right, we have the freedom of movement in our own country and nobody is going to tell me that it's wrong to drive a car in my own town and my own city. Uh, So all these people who are implementing the New World Order Agenda 2030 can go and stick their agenda where the sun doesn't shine. But the thing is... The political parties at the moment who have been elected uh, in the most recent elections, you know, the the usual suspects, the the Tories, Labour, Lib Dem, the Greens, Scotland, you've got the SNP. They're all acting together because they're all signed up to Agenda 2030, (coughs) the new World Order Programme the World Economic Forum's programmes, the United Nations programmes and the programmes of their various agencies. And the Heritage Party stands against them. We're the only party that does. So please, please come and join us in the Heritage Party because that helps us. The more members we have, the more influence we have. And please also think about coming and standing as a candidate, whether it's for Westminster elections or in your local council elections there are elections in these two cities in may 2023 in oxford and in canterbury and in hundreds of other um, districts and boroughs across england and also across northern ireland in may 2023 so please come and join us stand as a candidate and we can bat this Agenda 2030 out of our local governments. We can do it together. The Heritage Party exists to do this. That's why it was set up. Uh, It's time to join us now um, to stop these things from happening and stop the... All
1: right. So I wanted to share that because that's, you know, in real time. That's Agenda 2030. Um, So the problem is... For decades, we haven't paid any attention. We checked out. Checked out of politics. We checked out of who's governing us. We checked out of what they were doing while we allowed them to do it. And we got to check back in. We have to get loud. We have to get organized. And we have to oppose vehemently strongly we have to get involved we have to take back our responsibility that we've abdicated to people we thought had our best interest at heart and they don't they simply don't and it doesn't matter federally (coughs) all of the establishment parties (coughs) are committed to this Provincially, all of your establishment parties are committed to this. Municipally, all of your councillors and your mayors are committed to this because we let them, because we didn't get involved, because we thought, I hate politics. I don't have time for that shit anymore. I hear it all the time. I still hear it. And it drives me absolutely crazy. Well, the elections are fixed, so go prove that they're fixed. Get involved. Go prove it. Get evidence that it's fixed. We need the evidence. Make a movie, 2,000 Mules. We need the evidence if we're going to fix it. You can't just give up, swallow the black pill, stick your head in the sand, and kiss your ass goodbye. That's bullshit. I'll never do that. I'll never do that. I can't do that. We have to get re-engaged. We have to take back the responsibility we've abdicated to these assholes for decades. We need to take that responsibility back. Saskatchewan's going to do it. I'm convinced Saskatchewan's going to do it because Saskatchewan is still made up of more than 50% rural folks. Regina, Saskatoon, Ah, I don't have a lot of faith there. But outside, I have a ton of faith. It's got to happen. It will happen. More and more people are going to wake up. And hopefully, you know, I do this presentation. I've done it, I don't know how many times. Town hall after town hall. (laughs) I don't know what, I think I'm at somewhere, somewhere about 50 town halls I've done. uh, And I'm just about to embark on a whole lot more. Um, and this is the presentation that I give. A lot of times I talk about the enemies that I've created by being as much of a big mouth as I am. And a lot of that has to do with the government trying to kill me. I, I talk about that in my presentation as well. Um, it, it's not like there isn't consequence uh, or sacrifice in all of this. There is. But there's no greater purpose than to stand up for what you believe in and defend the way of life, your freedoms, your rights. There's no greater purpose. So many before us have given the ultimate sacrifice so I could live free and awesome growing up as a kid. I want that for my kids. So now it's time for me to step up in honor of those who sacrificed everything So, I could live free. Now it's our turn because we've been sleeping for decades. We got to wake up. We got to get involved. We got to get reengaged. There's no other way out of it. If you think we're going to do this by some armed revolution, you're insane. It's not going to happen. It'll never happen. Well, can't say never, but uh, by the time you have enough people, To be successful in something like that, we would have enough people to be successful without it. So, anyways, that's my regular presentation I give at town halls. Um, I wanted to do it live, I wanted to do it um, so all you folks could be exposed to it as well. Share it out. It's on Rumble, it's on Odyssey, Um, it's on my five Facebook platforms. (laughs) At least for now, Uh, chances are pretty good I'll be back. Uh, I won't be back tomorrow uh, on Facebook, but whatever it is, what it is, I don't care. They'll do what they do. Everything I've talked about tonight is verifiable. Everything I talked about is the truth. Um, So if they don't like it, too bad. Um, So anyways, that's it. Um, Share it out. Get it out. Show it to as many people as possible. Force them to watch it. Force your family to watch it. You know, force them. Sit them down for an hour and a half and, uh, and get them to really understand what's going on here. And everything I said is backed up. Like I said, it can be backed up, fact checked, verified. It's it's all 100%. Um, it's what they tell us. It's what they've been telling us for a long time. Um. So anyways, that's a wrap um get it out there love each and every one of you guys um remember globalism bad
0: nationalism good ciao for now